Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love for us. Pray that you would uh, speak to us now as we read your word and uh, pray you would uh, draw near to us again as we seek to draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. So um, next Sunday is my final um, Sunday here at St. Giles. I will be um, speaking then, but it'll be a shorter talk, won't be a full uh, sermon. It'll just be a kind of a, 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 something I particularly want to say as our last uh, service. So this is the kind of the final sermon sermon, um, if you like. And um, I always have to kind of hold off on uh, quotes from Marvel films, uh, quotes from C.S. Lewis, uh, referencing the Lord of the Rings, because that's my kind of staple uh, for my illustration. So I kind of, I've held off those um, the last few weeks, but there's one I want to share um, this morning, and it's from Lord of the Rings. And it's a bit of Lord of the Rings where um, they're in disarray, the fellowship have been scattered, the heroes are all running um, in different directions, and uh, Gandalf, uh, the wizard, the, the one who's been their sort of leader, uh, has, uh, they think, been killed. And then he, he comes back from the dead, if you like, and he, he starts to gather them uh, together. When he first meets the heroes, he says these words. I come to you at the turning of the tide. I come to you at the turning of the tide. And those words have been kind of, in my mind, as I've been thinking about uh, this morning. And specifically that imagery of the turning of the tide, the tide uh, turning. Remember when I first learned about uh, tides uh, turning, it blew my mind. Uh, I was on holiday, a family holiday, we'd gone to Great Yarmouth, we were in the sea. I was in the sea with my dad and uh, suddenly uh, kind of lost my footing and everything was uncertain. Uh, and my dad said, come on, we need, to, we need to get out, we need to get out. And I said, what's happening? And he said, the tide's turning. What does that mean? Well, what was going, coming in is now going out. The sea has changed direction. That blew my mind. Sort of six, seven years old, that blew my mind. The sea has changed direction. And I lost my footing and we needed to get, uh, we needed to get out, of the, out of the sea. But I can remember that feeling, that sort of uncertainty, the turning of the tide. So I want to uh, leave these words for you, this psalm with you, at this sort of turning of the tide uh, phase of St. Giles's life. An old vicar is going, a new vicar will be coming. And there will be an interregnum, there will be a time where the tide is turning, a time of uncertainty and perhaps unsettlingness. And what do you do when the tide turns? Well, you head for safe ground. You go where the, where the sand is firm. You don't want to get washed away. So 
I give you this psalm, really, as something that you can hold on to, that can anchor you as the tide uh, turns. I'm going to read through it again. As we read through, I'm going to think about how this psalm relates to uh, the Good Shepherd, who, of course, is Jesus. David writes this psalm about God's favour and um, God's protection and God watching over him. Uh, David was a shepherd boy. And he wrote this psalm hundreds of years before uh, Jesus. And that image of God as a shepherd is one that's familiar in the Bible. It's probably the most used metaphor in the Old Testament for how God looks after his people. Um, He shepherds his flock. And then 2,000 years, not quite 2,000 years, but... Centuries later, Jesus comes and says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. And what David glimpsed partially in this psalm about God's nature, we see fully revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So what is this shepherd like? Well, he's a shepherd who provides. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. The shepherd attends to the physical needs of his sheep. Indeed, that's what he's charged to do. That's his responsibility. In Jesus' day and for centuries before, a man or woman's wealth would be measured in the number of sheep that they had, how many head of sheep, how big their flock was. Their wealth was not in the meat of the sheep, they were too precious to eat, but in their wool that they would produce year after year and would be sold, and that would be their income. That wealth had to be shepherded, had to be husbanded, had to be guarded. The sheep needed to be carefully looked after. They had to be led to green pasture where there was good grass for them to eat. They had to be well-fed and well-watered. They needed to be kept healthy so that their owner could prosper. And so he would employ shepherds. Shepherds to lead them by day to green pasture and still water and to guard them by night from any that would come and harm them or scatter them. David speaks of his own experience. He's a shepherd boy, but he speaks of his own experience of being shepherded by his heavenly father. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores me. He guides me. This is his testimony, his witness, his experience, his story. And notice it's more than simply he provides for me. It's more than he meets my needs. But it's he restores me. There's a sense there of he gives me rest, he gives me sanctuary. He brings me healing and wholeness and peace. Moving beyond the imagery of a shepherd caring for his sheep. David is getting to the heart here of what it means for God to shepherd his people. 
Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Uh, Dane Ortland, in his book Gentle and Lowly, uh, points out something that was pointed out to him by his father and in turn was pointed out to his uh, father by uh, Charles Spurgeon. And it's this. In the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we read, we read much about the life of Jesus. We read about his humble birth, about his young adulthood, at the beginning of his ministry. We read about his uh, temptation, his baptism, his death and his glorious resurrection. We read about him teaching his disciples and encouraging them. Uh, we read about him challenging the Pharisees and arguing and debating with them. We read lengthy sermons that he preached and uh, short pithy sayings um, that he said, stories that he told. We see his miraculous signs and his uh, fulfilment of prophecy. But there's only one place in those four Gospels, in those 89 chapters, there's only one place where Jesus says, This is my heart. This is my heart. This is who I am. This is who I am deep inside. This is my heart. There's only one place where Jesus says that. And it's in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, this is my heart, gentle and lowly, not demanding and austere, not exalted and dignified, not even joyful and generous. My heart is gentle and lowly. Gentle is a character word. It means to be uh, meek or humble. It's a, a word that's only ever used of somebody's character. Jesus is gentle. He's not harsh. He's not reactionary. He's not easily exasperated like some vicars that you might know. He's the most understanding person who's ever lived. He's gentle. The posture he's most comfortable with is with open arms, not a pointing finger. His heart is gentle, for he is the good shepherd who restores the souls of his people. And he is lowly. He says, my heart is gentle and lowly. And lowly is, is not a character word. It's not a virtue word. I've always kind of thought, well, gentle and lowly kind of means the same thing, or gentle and humble, it's the same thing. No, it, it means something different. Lowly is a social term. It's a, a positional term. It means literally of low estate. It means to be at the bottom. 
Jesus says, I have a lowly heart. My position is one of lowliness. There's an echo here uh, of uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2. Consider him who being in very nature God, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being found in human likeness. He made himself nothing. He had a lowly position. Jesus' lowliness speaks of his accessibility. There's been no one more gentle in human history and there's been no one more lowly in human history. No one more accessible. Nobody who it's been easier to draw close to. For there are no prerequisites to draw close to him. There are no hoops that you have to uh, jump through. You just accept his invitation. And isn't that what we find so attractive about Jesus when we read the Gospels? That he is lowly of heart and people, people recognise that. Which is why the tax collectors and the sinners flood to him. Why the prostitutes feel at ease in his presence. It's why people who are blind call out to him. Why the lepers seek him out. Why those who have a friend who's paralysed will dig through a roof to get him to Jesus. Because they know that they will not be turned away. They see in him a good shepherd who seeks out his sheep, who is accessible, who's lowly of heart. Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Labour. We all know what it is to labour, especially in West Bridgeford. To work too hard, to be too busy, to run too fast, to be exhausted by life. Come to me, all you who labour and who are heavy laden. Some of us too know what it is to be heavy laden, to be weighed down, to carry a burden that weighs too much. To be constrained by circumstances outside your control. To carry a load that is too much, we feel, to bear. Come to me, all you who labour, who do too much. Who are heavy laden, who have a load that is too much to bear. And Jesus says, I will give you rest. I will lead you to green pasture and still water. I will restore your soul. Auckland again. Jesus Christ's desire is that you find rest. That you come in out of the storm. That you come to the one who is gentle and lowly. For this is Jesus' heart. This is who he is. Tender open, welcoming, accommodating, understanding, willing. 
He makes me lie down in green pasture. He restores my soul. He provides. And he protects. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David changes from talking about God to talking to God. It happens in verse 4. He could have said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with me. I will fear no evil. He is with me, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. But he doesn't. He says, you. He moves from talking about God to talking to God. And he does that as he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. As he walks through the deepest valley and in the darkest shadows. He talks not about God, but he talks to God. One pastor puts it like this. David has felt the shadows closing in. And in those times, something deep has happened between him and God. It happens to us too. You've noticed it too, haven't you? We're more prone to talk about God when we're in the green pastures and we're more prone to talk to God when we're in the dangerous valley. In the light, we're prone to wander off in pursuit of greener grass. But in the dark, we hold on to him like tightly. It has been a privilege uh, to walk alongside members of St Giles and our community as they, you, have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. For some, that means being there literally at the moment uh, that they have died. For others, it means being with the family as a loved one um, has died. That's always been a responsibility I felt keenly, and it's always been something that I've felt to be a real, a real privilege. Great privilege and a great responsibility. And people say, well, what do you do in those times? What do you say in those times? You simply point to the good shepherd who walks with us through that same valley and whose rod and staff uh, comforts us. Maybe you're thinking, who will do that when there's no vicar at St. Giles? Who will be there in the interregnum? Well, of course, we'll still have the pastoral care. We'll still have Daphne. We'll still have home groups. Uh, Peter and uh, Christopher will be leading uh, services. But there there won't be a vicar here, so things will uh, be different. But the good shepherd will still be here. And he'll still be at the QMC, and he'll still be at the city hospital, and he'll still be at the hospice, and he'll still be at the front room and in the bedroom. He will still be here. And he will still walk with us through the darkest valleys. And you will be able to testify with David, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The good shepherd provides and he protects 
and he blesses. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The imagery here changes again. We're no longer a shepherd with his sheep. We're no longer walking through valleys or on hillsides or green pastures. We're now summoned to a banquet. A host is entertaining guests. A feast has been prepared. David is anointed. His cup overflows. And significantly, importantly, all of this happens in the presence of his enemies. We've now moved away from the imagery of shepherding uh, to a banquet. And that banquet is a, a glimpse of heaven. The imagery of a royal banquet is often used in scriptures, an image, a picture, a metaphor of heaven. Life in God's presence. Heaven is presented as a place of feasting and joy and abundance and blessing. Cup overflows, the food never runs out. We're in the company of our friends. There is laughter and joy. And Jesus, in his parables, in different ways, invites people to come and join in this banquet. Invites them to come into the kingdom of God, to experience life under his rule, under his reign. And life under his rule and his reign is life in the kingdom of God, a life of feasting and joy and peace and blessing of cups overflowing. And of course, we know many are invited but few respond to that invitation. Many are invited, but few are chosen. And Jesus, of course, brings the kingdom of God into our midst. God's future reign, life at the banqueting table, is brought into the present. Life in the kingdom of God is experienced now in the here and now. It's experienced in the midst of our enemies. Those who do respond to Jesus' invitation to life under his rule and reign are born again and enter the kingdom of God in the here and now. And so know the blessings of his rule and his reign in the here and now. His shepherding, his guiding, his peace, his protection, his healing, his restoring his joy and his peace in the midst of our enemies, in the midst of all that would steal and kill and destroy all the goodness that God longs to bring into our lives. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann notes that the term used here for follow me is actually quite a passive term. has the sort of sense of something tagging along behind. It says that doesn't really fit the kind of original Hebrew, the sense of the psalm. It's too passive in comparison with David's original words. A more literal translation would be pursue me. Being actively uh, chased. 
David says, God's goodness and love will pursue me all the days of my life. Every day, good days and bad days, Monday through Sunday, God's goodness and love will pursue me all the days of my life. And one day my life will end. And then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You are chased by God's powerful love. God's goodness and love will run after you all the days of your life. It will pursue you. It will chase you down. It will not let you go all the days of your life. God's love is not something that we strive for. It's not something we work after. It's something that we need to slow down for and allow to catch up with us. Jesus said this, I am the good shepherd. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I will give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of his hand. I and the father are one. I'm the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. He laid down his life and he took it up again. The resurrection is the sign that his words are true. He can be trusted. The good shepherd can be trusted. He provides. He provides rest for our souls. He provides protection. He will walk with you through the darkest valley. And he loves to bless you his heart is gentle and lowly and his goodness and love will pursue you all the days of your life let's pray loving heavenly father we thank you for your love for us indeed your love for the whole world And Lord, we pray that you would help us uh, to hold on to this. Hold on to this in this season of a, a changing of the tide, when things feel uncertain. Lord, anchor us in the truth of your word. Lord, for those of us who labor, pray we would find your rest. For those of us who are heavy laden, We pray you give us the grace to take your yoke upon our shoulders and learn from you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to slow down, that your love might catch up with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and continue in worship. We're going to have a bit of a longer time of worship this morning, and that's to give time for prayer ministry.